Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome into our innovation conversation that we have every week here on KMOX. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan. And what a great week to talk about innovation. I mean, Every week's a great week to talk about innovation, but the show this week is, is stacked with some some good news. Yeah, you know, St. Louis has some challenges. I don't think that's any secret, but today we're going to get the scoop on a new way of approaching those challenges, of calculating exactly what they are, and even defining them. Really, how is how resilient is St. Louis? And if we are going to you know apply innovation in new ways, not just in tech and not just in entrepreneurship, but can we apply innovation in a way that makes our city more resilient? So stay tuned, Patrick Brown. Chief Resilience Officer for the City of St. Louis is going to stop in. And then Worldwide Technology, a big St. Louis company that, after our conversation last week about big St. Louis companies, we should say WWT, not going anywhere. Worldwide is going to be St. St. Louis located. That's what it sounds like. St. Louis Always. County out in Westport. But they are partnering with 630, big company, partnering with this investment fund for small startups, big and small. It's a match made in heaven. We, we've talked about this model a few times on the show where our large corporates that are in St. Louis getting involved in the startup community, not just buying them pizza and beer, but getting involved as investors, mentors, even as customers sometimes. Mm-hmm. And finally, we're going to talk with Tim Rowe, who's in charge of the Cambridge Innovation Center, which quick reminder for people. It is the uh, it is the where Venture Cafe came from. We were born out of uh, Cambridge Innovation Center, but it's the shared workspace, uh, most prominently in St. Louis. It's in the Cortex Innovation community, and uh, we're going to talk to Tim about some of their global expansion plans. Yeah, they began in Boston. Their tagline was "More startups under one roof than anywhere else in the world." I think, and their first expansion outside of Boston. Now they're all over the world. But their first expansion outside of Boston right was... Right here in St. Louis. Right oh, yeah. here in St. Louis. So, Tim Rowe, that's coming up as well. Lots to talk about as we get going with this edition of Nothing Impossible. Michael and Travis will be back after this. Stick around. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. All right, welcome back. Michael and Travis with you. And let's talk about how resilient St. Louis might be. You know, when people, I think when they think about resiliency, they uh, they might think about their own personal well-being. Uh, they might think about it as it relates to the future for their children. But I don't know if everybody thinks about it as it relates to our city or our region. And so we have, little do people, maybe they don't know, we have a chief resilience officer at the city of St. Louis, Mr. Patrick Brown, joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. So uh, help set the stage for us. Like, what is your role at the city? What is this resilience uh, effort really about? Yeah. Um, so... I am a part of the mayor's uh, senior staff here uh, in the city. Um, I came to this job through a program um, supported by the Rockefeller Foundation started about four years ago called 100 Resilient Cities. Uh, The point of the program was to help cities better organize themselves around their most major shocks and stresses, uh, and that's jargony language for uh, our largest and most uh, you know, complex challenges. Um, so, you know, there are 24 cities in the U.S., St. Louis being one. Uh, obviously, the rest are international. Um, and those challenges manifest themselves in a couple of different ways. 
We could be talking about the impacts of climate change that we're dealing with uh, across the United States. We could be talking about uh, aging infrastructure, uh, poverty rates. Um, and in cities like St. Louis, we're talking about things like uh, systemic racism that has gone unaddressed for since the founding of the city. Um, <laughs> and maybe before. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and obviously yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about things like vacancy and blight and government inefficiency and fragmentation. So it's all the fun stuff. So those things that you mentioned essentially create an environment where we may not be resilient, right? They could I, break us. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, if, if any, of, any one of those things were to go unaddressed uh, or, as an example, if we were ill-prepared for the next flood, uh, you know, coming down the Mississippi, that's obviously a threat to our resilience. And uh, that can be life or limb, uh, or it could be economic. Um, and, you know, parts of our city being devastated by uh, a, a large event like, uh, like a flood. Um, but floods don't, you know, those happen rather quickly. We can anticipate them with some level of certainty. But um, I think the most insidious challenges are the ones that are considered our chronic stresses. And again, those are things like uh, aging infrastructure and, and the, the uh, race and economic in- inequities that we have in our region. Uh, and if we don't address those, it really erodes the foundation of our city. So there are the acute ones, which seem like they're the ones that come in with a bang, a flood, earthquake, something like that. that Tornado. Just, yeah. 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 I think yeah. those are the most commonly uh, associated resilience yeah. threats. Yeah. Instant resilience there. Whereas the chronic stresses, kind of like a chronic disease where it might be below the surface. It's not something that's visible necessarily every day. It's not like a tornado ripping through town, but... Over time, it still rips through same, town. Same potential impacts. You yeah. know, um, you think about Katrina in New Orleans as an example, and this is one that uh, we learned early on. Um, that was certainly a weather-related event, but it was compacted and made worse by the the unabated chronic stresses that the city faced uh, around uh, inequity, economic uh, and race-related um, transportation challenges. There was an acute uh, mistrust of government. And so when officials came in and told residents it's time to go, uh, they said, we've heard this before and we don't mm. believe you. And so they didn't. Uh, and then it was mm. too late. And so those are the sorts of things that really slowly over time rip away at a city's ability to um, prepare and rebound from these sorts of challenges. So you've spent uh, quite a bit of time, uh, several meetings, uh, several community engagement, stakeholder engagement sessions uh, to produce, and your, you and your team produced uh, an assessment, uh, a snapshot of where we are a, as a region. Uh, and that's published recently, made available. What are some things, some high-level things that came out in that assessment? Um, well, so the assessment, I, we're talking about the pejorative side of the house here, uh, and I want to make sure that, 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 is, that we say it's not the only thing we're talking about. And so this the PRA, the Preliminary Resilience Assessment, is the first of two documents that I'm uh, responsible for, for producing. And the PRA is meant to be kind of a uh, quick and wide scan of the challenges that we discussed, um, but also an acknowledgement of the strengths and the um, momentum that we have in our city that we can build upon in order to help uh, as leverage to address those stresses. And so... We talked about things like uh, pointing out the success of our economy in the Central Corridor and the startups uh, that people like you, Travis, mm-hmm. support uh, in your job. And we talked about 
the architecture of the city and the 109 parks that we have and the access to green space. Uh, our cultural institutions, our higher ed institutions, uh, these are all great strengths for the city that we need to be building upon. Um, but we also talked about things like um, crime, obviously, um, and all the things that lead to high crime rates in a city like ours. Uh, and again, uh, the race and uh, economic inequities are chief among them. Uh, we also talked about our vacancy rate. And we have, um, you know, one and a half the size of Forest Park uh, amounts of vacancy uh, dispersed across our city, but predominantly concentrated north of Del Mar. Uh, and that has true impacts both for the residents that live around vacant and abandoned structures uh, and also the city's uh, financial resources. We're spending a lot of money to maintain those buildings and those vacant lots, and we're not even doing it to the degree which we would like. And it's uh, a lot of missed tax revenue as well. Absolutely. And Tons those, of missed tax revenue. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was something that we talked about, the erosion of our tax base and our depopulation over time, um, w- which is kind of interesting because 100 Resilient Cities has really started um, to think about how cities address increased populations because we know that uh, <laughs> that uh, the population of the world is um, moving more and more into cities. And by 2050, like 70% of the world's population is Mm. projected to live within Mm. urban cores. Uh, But that hasn't been our challenge. (laughs) Um, We would love... We're like, we're ready. We're ready. Come on. We we are ready. (laughs) Open Um, for business. Yeah, we are open for business. But uh, the the counter challenge is ours right now. And I think um, all of those things that we've pointed out in the PRA... Um, certainly contribute to that depopulation. And so if we want to uh, have more people come and live and call the city of St. Louis home, we're also going to have to address some of these things. In terms of the city being open for business, you talked to, I think, about 1,300 people between the surveys and the meetings and all of that yeah, and, outreach? And, and I should say that that was the number when we started drafting this PRA, and, and it, took a, it took a long time to get that thing out the door. <laughs> uh, so we've had a number of meetings since then, and, and so we're, we're pushing probably over 2,000 people, oh. which has been interesting. Uh, neighborhood meetings, online surveys. In this case, I did read all of the comments. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it was better than reading a it comment was, exactly. section I, on the internet. It yeah. was. You know, uh, people, citizens, residents have a lot of insight, and uh, we don't do a, a good enough job, I think, tapping into that insight uh, within city government, and that is certainly a tenant of uh, 100 Resilient Cities program. So what did they say as to how the city could be more open to business? Was was crime the first thing? Was it, I need better access to my to my job? I, we need more jobs? Or was it more of those acute stressors? Or what did people say was the biggest concern for them, I guess? And, yeah. and what would be the biggest impediment for getting new people to move in? I mean, it certainly was varied, right? Um, we had, there are actually some comments that we highlighted uh, within the PRA uh, direct from uh, resident respondents and, and also city government uh, respondents to the survey. And people talked about things like crime. You know, there's a paraphrasing here. No one wants to move to a city with a crime rate as high as ours. Um, but one woman responded by saying that she couldn't let her kids go out and play in the backyard because of the bricks and the buildings that were falling down around hmm. them. It just wasn't safe. Um, but then there was a focus on the city and the fact that we seem to be a bit conservative as it relates to risk. 
uh, and that we need to take greater risks and be more innovative and step outside our comfort zone in order to progress uh, past where we are today. And I actually find that to be quite true. Uh, And, you know, I'd be curious to have your opinion there. But I think that is one of the things that that we struggle with quite a bit. Uh, Everybody seems to know everybody in St. Louis. And so nobody wants to be the person that failed uh, by trying something. Mm. I think that permeates a lot of uh, the types of things that we try in this region. It's interesting. We're uh, Venture Cafe is expanding into Japan, and one of the things that we hear about as it relates to entrepreneurship and innovation is uh, if you fail in Japan or in Tokyo, uh, in a couple of generations, your grandkids will be known as like the grandkids of a failure. Like it's just like it's just no, like, wow. it's just because things are uh, so generational. But they also think in generational planning, right? They, they think about companies that are going to be built for hundreds of years and that type of thing. And I think one of the things that uh, that's, that St. Louis struggles with is we don't do enough future planning. Uh, maybe we can say we and plan... And integrated planning between different groups talking with each other and being on the same page. I mean, I'll, I'll say it like my opinion. We plan from election cycle to election cycle, right? Mm-hmm. People, uh, we have so many elected officials and variety of lo- uh, you know, lo- uh, at the uh, ward level all the way up to county um, uh, representatives. So many elected officials. So many elected. And, you know, it's hard to... You didn't to- even get into how many mayors there are. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to have a plan that you want to see go forward. I think we just left a long, you know, just ended a long tenure of our, our last mayor with Mayor Slay. Uh, but we we don't have an, we don't allow people enough time to actually implement plans. I mean, before you came in, Patrick, Mike and I were somewhat being cynical about here's yet another report in the city of St. Louis. And we say that because we need to get to work. And I, I know that yeah. you probably share some of these frustrations as well. You don't want to produce just a nice slick report. What is the work that gets done now? Yeah, so um, fair point. And that's one of the things that I acknowledged before even taking the job officially (laughs) was that, look, people are planned out. But I think that is because we've had such a poor experience with people doing plans and strategies um, and then there being no follow-up. And I think often, um, I thought about this recently, um, the people who are doing the plans aren't city government. There are organizations, there are nonprofits, there are uh, support systems uh, that actually don't have the ability to implement. Um, and so they pick up a passion project, they find some funding, they rally some residents, and they hire a designer, we've got a report. And then that gets presumably handed over to somebody in city government. Maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then things never happen because there wasn't that buy-in from the beginning. Uh, there wasn't that that direction provided by government. These are our priorities. And if you're going to help us, help us accomplish these. Um, And so that's what this program is. Mm -hmm. This is intentionally couched within uh, the executive office of the city and in all cities within the network because I think there is an awareness and acknowledgement that uh, quite often we do these plans and things don't happen. Um, But my work is uh, direct correlation to priorities that the mayor has acknowledged, and therefore um, the issues and the and the and the opportunities within the PRA are things that we can use uh, in the next phase of this work and and research uh, of this work to better define uh, projects and programs or initiatives uh, to support um, you know putting more properties back into productive reuse and the tax rolls or um, helping 
um, better prepare residents uh, in our vulnerable communities for the effects of climate change. Um, so that is really the next step of this. Uh, we've highlighted five areas within the uh, preliminary resilience assessment that we've deemed to be the most pressing for us. Um, and the next phase of this work is um, it's, it's very collaborative, right? So uh, we're, we, work, we put working groups together. Uh, they're a, a, a platform um, of partners within the 100 uh, Resilient Cities Network that will help us uh, think through those challenges and help us think through uh, the next steps and initiatives that we need to, to uh, implement in order to address them. One of your items it looks like on here is more both regional and, and national collaboration. So whether it's working with the many mayors in St. Louis County and all the municipalities, or whether it's even working across, you know, the, the treasurer's got a website, the guy I pay my taxes to has a separate website, the, even the city of St. Louis has different departments. Uh, is the police department sharing its data and information with other departments? All the back and forth. What uh, what does St. Louis as a region need to do to... Uh, to cross those boundaries and to really share? Well, if I had the answer to that, I think I could make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I, a big question. I've got, yeah. I've got my best guess. And, you know, I really do think it starts with even agreeing on what the data says, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we have organizations like Better Together uh, who went through a lot of effort to create uh, a bunch of information and data that uh, – presumably we're to use to kind of move us towards that greater collaboration and it hasn't happened yet. Um, so just, you know, it's complex, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things, focusing back on the city, uh, that we identified is that you're right, we don't communicate very well across our silos, even within city government. And so um, we're actually working with um, my strategy partner, uh, which is another jargony term, um, but it's a it's a project manager that I have. It's a consulting firm. It's Dahlberg Advisors. They work with me, paid for by 100RC to work with me uh, on some of the issues uh, that we're facing. And they've put together a number of reports um, on communication strategy for the city mm. uh, and working with the mayor's director of communications, um, doing citizen and resident interviews, um, interviewing um, government, you know, staff on their experiences and their challenges around communication, because we've got a bunch of different websites, we've got a bunch of different social media accounts. There's not; uh, it's hard to find a a, um, a unified voice mm-hmm. out of city government sometimes, and we understand that that's a challenge. Uh, so that's one example of how we better coordinate. I think Patrick Brown, Chief Resilience Officer for the City of St. Louis. If- uh, Patrick, if people wanted to read this uh, assessment and download it, share it, where can they find it? Uh, it's on the city's website, uh, and that's uh, www.stlewis-mo.gov on backslash resilience. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, get out there and keep us resilient, man. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it. Coming up next, we'll talk with Worldwide Technology on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And let's talk about what Worldwide Technology is up to. They're partnering with 630, which, Travis, we've talked about 630 quite frequently here on the show. Yeah, they're one of our accelerator programs. Uh, Also, 
they do investment on two different sides. They have a, a financial services or fintech uh, investment wing, and then they also do cybersecurity. And uh, this partnership with Worldwide Technology really piqued my interest. Yeah. Let's talk with Matt Horner, who's Senior Vice President of Global Enterprise Sales at Worldwide Technology. Thank you for calling in to KMOX, Matt. Uh, thanks for having us on. Yeah, so talk about, give us the introduction to what Worldwide Technology is going to be doing in partnership with uh, 630, again, uh, an, an investment firm for uh, financial technology startups. What's the common thread between your organizations, Matt? Yeah, really, it uh, starts with innovation. You know, worldwide has developed a culture of innovation. It's what every business is facing, the, the need to adapt to the changing environment and transform their organization in using analytics and using digital ways and means to engage with customers and employees. And um, what 630 brings is a diverse suite of investment uh, companies that they've researched, quite frankly, around the globe, which fits our organization's pursuits and supporting businesses around the globe. But it has the commonality of being located and headquartered here in St. Louis, which makes it real convenient for us to collaborate together and evaluate the startups that they are invested in and now we're invested in. So it makes it a, a very nice fit on several fronts there. You know, one of the things that I find, find things that I find interesting is in the startup world, uh, the tides are shifting. It's not as much about the startups just getting investment from uh, a venture capital firm that is uh, maybe disconnected from the industry. But now they're getting a lot of the investment and the support and the engagement is coming from uh, investors or corporates that have alignment with that specific industry. Uh, how? You mentioned a little bit about the fact that both of the organizations, Worldwide Technology headquartered here, 630 here, but they're attracting companies from all over the globe. Would you say that this is a, a good value proposition for St. Louis, that we have so much corporate engagement in the startup community and startup space? It is. It is. I think it's, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time with a variety of different venture capital firms and leadership around the world, just again, piquing our interest on what's happening and terms of development of, of technology based on the core business we're in. But uh, what we found especially intriguing with 630, you know, being right under our, our nose, so to speak, is that they they take, it, it's more of just investment dollars. They get hands-on with these startups. They have mentors from other local headquarter organizations like ourselves and Edward Jones and MasterCard and others and make sure that we're enriching that particular organization's leadership with how do you go from a great idea and something that you know seems like it'd be applicable across you know many different facets of of potential customers but often startups stall out because they don't know how to scale they don't know how to build a foundation of a culture that allows for sustainability in a business and and that's what 630 does and worldwide certainly endorses that in terms of foundational how we built our business. You know, Travis, whether it's the Express Scripts news last week or any other news that comes up, we go back to so many of these St. Louis stalwarts of our corporate community began as startups, and Worldwide Technology is another company that has grown up in St. Louis. It's just not always been a big behemoth that's always been around. And Matt, uh, what kind of lessons maybe from Worldwide Technologies growing up can be applied to these startups who are entering 630? No, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, Worldwide's not going anywhere, and 
being bought by anybody. We we have our roots here in St. Louis, and the leadership team is uh, very stalwart in committing to this community and and ensuring that we protect this uh, headquartered location. Um, as far as what we could pass on in terms of additional guidance and advice of lessons learned, it really comes back to culture and developing that strong footing of teamwork and making sure that you are taking care of your employees because that's going to attract new employees and developing a healthy environment. People spend too much time at work, and for it not to be healthy or inspiring for that matter, it's just people aren't going to, you know, put a lot of time and effort into what they're doing or do it at their best if they don't feel they have the backing of the leadership or the ownership. And that's something we've infused into worldwide for many, many years. And obviously it's uh, it's paid off in terms of our growth, but we still have plenty of to do in terms of continuing to create a great place to work. Matt, you, you, all these ways that startups can integrate and, and the lessons that you've just le- uh, listed off that they can learn one of the things that I noticed about this partnership is that the startups will have access to the Advanced Technology Center that uh, that Worldwide has. Can you talk a little bit about that? That seems quite interesting. Yes, it's, I think that's really where the Worldwide value rises and shines with the partnership for 630. It's, uh, our lab environment, our innovation labs, have become this rich ecosystem of a variety of different technologies that customers can come into kick the tires and learn, seeing how one compares to another in terms of different technologies, whether that's in the wireless space or it's in the networking space or it's in the you know, mobile app space and security space. And for these startups to come in and get our engineers to evaluate how their technology works and is it going to be able to scale for an enterprise class customer or government agency or where do they have gaps and holes? So we have this again, rich group of engineering talent that the 630 investment firms can come in and get additional knowledge and and just insight into what's working, what's not, and where the roadmap of their development might lead. And why is that important is because instead of just a few people that are leading the organization and came up with this great idea, all of a sudden you have hundreds of different engineers, app developers, and leadership that's weighing in on how their business could go to the next level. We're talking with Matt Horner, Senior Vice President of Global Enterprise Sales at Worldwide Technology, one of our large hometown companies here in the St. Louis area. And Matt, when it comes to the two of the hottest uh, industries right now, whether it's what's going on with uh, Square and these mobile banks and uh, fintech is just huge right now, and then also cybersecurity, it seems like there's uh, some sort of a new hacking piece of news that comes out every day. These are really two of the most relevant industries when it comes to tech that you guys are partnering up on right now. Yeah, it's interesting. As much as that's very accurate, you could uh, mobilize fintech and insurance tech and healthcare tech and retail tech. Every industry is being impacted by a kind of a digital transformation and um in particular around the fintech and what we're doing with 630 there are there are a number of common patterns that we see apply not only in banking but can be applied into insurance or even pharmaceutical and beyond so as much as it has that kind of naming convention around fintech and that's absolutely the primary focus is to upgrade and modernize how banking transacts business with their customers it has common patterns that can apply in other verticals and again another attractive area for us 
Matt, you uh, two words you just said, upgrade and modernize. And when I hear those words, I also have to think about Westport Plaza and what worldwide technology has done there to upgrade and modernize that part of our region. Talk a little bit about the new uh, facility that Worldwide has out there. Yes, thanks for thanks for noting. We're very, very excited about what we've built there at our new headquarters, and uh, it's really intended to be a showcase for next-generation workforce, how people work together, how they collaborate together. We bring over a 1,000 different customers in in 2017. We'll probably do more than that in 2018 in terms of coming in on tours, not only to have access to the labs, but also just see how people work and engage in this next-generation environment. And also, it's intended to kind of be this hub. We've, uh, we've coined our phrasing around Silicon Valley and St. Louis, and we want Westport and, quite frankly, the St. Louis community to be this hub where you can come and see all the different technologies from many vast places around the world and do it right here in St. Louis in our backyard and, again, enrich in the, the work life and community development within this region. Matt Horner, Senior Vice President, Global Enterprise Sales at Worldwide Technology. Well, where can people go to get more information, especially about the partnership with 630? Yeah, both 630's website and uh, www.t.com has plenty of information, and uh, we have a number of people that can help out with uh, just getting more familiarity. In fact, we have our customers upon many different advisory boards that we conduct throughout the year at getting exposure to these fintech firms that now we're invested in with 630. And we can also just take input from uh, different people that are interested in the community to understand what's happening in this region, not only with 630, but there's a whole community around Cortec and T-Rex that's really fostering this innovation and, and new jobs and creation of currency for this area, which is great to see. And Worldwide has a presence in the city of St. Louis, too, in the, in the midst of all that with a synchrony. That's right. That's our Agile Software Development Group. It's something that uh, is a great factor to our customers in terms of helping them create a mobile experience. For instance, if you're a customer of Panera Bread and you use their kiosk or their mobile app to buy before you get there and go and pick up quickly, that's all created by Asynchrony and WWT, and um, it's helped their revenue grow exponentially based on using this digital platform to engage with their customers. All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us and continued success for uh, Worldwide Technology. And thank you so much for, uh, for that company being such a great leader in the region. We appreciate you having us on and thanks for the work you do as well. Thank you. All right, thanks, Matt. And coming up next, we're going to talk more local innovation as we continue. What's going on with CIC? We'll get the scoop on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back, Michael and Travis, with you as we continue our local innovation conversation. And gosh, since CIC arrived in St. Louis, it's been a big topic here on the program. We've had Dugan on mm-hmm. in charge of helped launch CIC St. Louis several times on the program. And we've heard through your adventures with Venture Cafe across the globe, Travis, about how global this organization's becoming and now we've got some more news to that effect we do we have tim Rowe, the founder and ceo of, C- of cic and in full disclosure the chairman of venture cafe global institute and we and venture cafe as we've said several times was born out of cic uh, but tim there's been some exciting news in the cic world cambridge innovation center world uh, big fundraise 
of $58 million. Tell us a little bit about what that's going to do. But first, 30 seconds on what CIC is. Okay, sure. Uh, So Cambridge Innovation Center, we're the largest home to high-tech startups that we know of anywhere in the world. Uh, We launched in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We now have, I think, about 5,000 startups that have come through CIC's doors uh, since we got launched about 18 years ago. Now, Tim, I can remember uh, on the St. Louis Startup Roadshow trip to Boston, I had the chance to go into CIC in Cambridge, incredible space, and talk about why you went from the incredible success in Boston and Cambridge, and you decided your first expansion was going to be in St. Louis. Remind us why St. Louis was had such an appeal for you. Well, so St. Louis was an opportunity that came to us. Uh, my mother was in the, uh, working at MIT for a very long time, and... She was close to Mark Wrighton, who, uh, as you know, uh, went on to lead Washington University of St. Louis. So uh, we got a call from Mark saying, hey, uh, would you guys consider uh, coming over here to, uh, to St. Louis? And we said, uh, well, I said, I can't say no to my mom. So, uh, <laughs> so I came over. Well, and that, that makes uh, Thanksgiving that much more enjoyable and less stressful. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so with this fundraise, the $58 million of investment, and we've seen this in other sorts of products, right? Uh, there's been a lot of investment that's been going into these shared workspaces. Uh, what is this going to do for CIC, and what's, what's the global expansion look like? Well, so what's happening with CIC already is that we are going to more and more cities. So we, after St. Louis, which it worked so well, the, some of the partners we had in St. Louis said, let's do this in other cities. We opened in Miami, also going fantastically. Uh, we then opened in, in Europe for the first time in the Netherlands, uh, in the city of Rotterdam, which is where a lot of their universities are. It's kind of a, uh, a tech hotbed. And that's going so well. We're just doubling the size of our facility there. Just as you know, we, we are increasing the size in St. Louis. Uh, so we've taken a step back and said, okay, where does this go? It's worked everywhere we've gone. Where else should we go? And uh, started conversations in Dublin, Ireland, in, in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, there's one going on in Spain and one going on in Japan. And we said, oh, okay, so everybody's interested. We're going to need a little more capital to be able to uh, start really growing this, this thing. Tim, what's the difference? How do you describe the added benefit with uh, a company locating in a CIC space versus, you know, co-working spaces have become a hot industry. There's a national one that's raised a lot of funding. I don't believe they're in St. Louis, but some others have opened outposts in St. Louis. But what is the CIC difference? Yeah, so CIC is really... For the serious tech startup, we have laboratories like wet laboratories. Uh, as you know, our laboratory in, in St. Louis has dozens of companies that are inventing new cures for disease. Uh, coworking really doesn't do that. None of the companies that you're mentioning do anything like that. And when we look at this global expansion uh, and this investment, uh, it's really going to help kickstart a project in Warsaw. Can you talk a little bit about the, the Warsaw market and why that's so appealing? Yeah, so Warsaw, first of all, Poland, as your listeners may know, is, is a city in Europe which has been doing very well economically. I think they've had continuous growth for something like 23 years. Uh, they were just, the, I think, the first major Eastern European country to be reclassified as a developed country like France or Germany. Uh, they are a very focused group of people. They're very hardworking. Any of you who know Polish people know how serious and hardworking they are. And so when we got over there, we said, well, let's take a look at whether this could work for an innovation center. We were convinced that this was the, the right place to start in the eastern part of Europe. Have a lot of your expansions for CIC come uh, from the cities themselves coming to you and saying, we want your product here? Or do you go out and scout out and figure out which, which area, which city, which neighborhood has the metrics to support CIC? I guess, which comes first? 
Yeah, you know, I, we always say that we should go out and scout. Uh, you know, that's obviously the smart thing to do. Uh, but uh, it's been busy. Uh, people have come and visited us from all over the world. Uh, they've heard about us one place or another, and they say, okay, can you show us what you're doing? And we, we do. Uh, and, uh, and they say, hey, would you come to our city? And so to date, quite honestly, uh, it's been all that. So, Tim, as we uh, as we look at this global expansion, you did reference the fact that the St. Louis uh, uh, facility is growing. Can you talk a little bit about the the new space at forty two twenty and and what you're looking forward to with that space opening? And I understand that that'll have a nice new space for Venture Cafe in St. Louis. Innovation Hall will be there. Yes, that's right. So, uh, so honestly, when we first got to St. Louis, we weren't sure what to expect. Uh, we weren't familiar with St. Louis. My first visit to St. Louis was in connection to this project at, at Mark's invitation. And we were so happy with what panned out. Uh, we, we opened our first facility. It was a small one in 4240, only about 32,000 square feet, and it filled up overnight. Uh, we said, whoa, okay, this, this is working. And a lot of that is thanks to, uh, to Duke Sherwood's hard work and his team, uh, I should say. Uh, so we started saying, hey, folks, we need more space. And working with the state of Missouri and others, we, we ended up being asked to to kind of rejuvenate and reinvest in the Center for Emerging Technology, which is just down the street from there. That's much bigger. It's 89,000 square feet. And, and that facility went from being relatively quiet and uh, pretty empty at the time. I think it was maybe 40, 50% occupied to it today being fully occupied, uh, just bursting at the seams. And again, we had this problem of where are we going to put people? And uh, working with Washington University of St. Louis again and their partners, Wexford Scientific, uh, and some companies that wanted to come in, uh, Microsoft wanted to come in, uh, we were able to put together a plan to build this new building, 4220, which is going to open, I think, in just a couple of months. Well, Tim, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to, to join us. Uh, again, in full disclosure, Tim is the chairman of uh, Venture Cafe Global, but we, you know, we talk to a lot of people that's, that, uh, that have this intersectionality, and that's what's so great about the innovation community is that there is so much intersectionality. CIC, major fundraise, $58 million fueling global expansion. Tim, congratulations, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us this week on Nothing Impossible. We'll be back next week talking innovation throughout the region. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.